0: Oh, good morning. Hope you've had a good morning. I'm um, Chad Vincent. I'm not Monty Waldron. And uh, Monty's still on sabbatical, so I get a chance to fill in for, uh, for him and to miss his absence. But like Jesus said, Jesus said, He's returned, and Monty will return again. So have no fear, church. He'll return. Hey, if you're like me, uh, take a road trip or just around town, you enjoy looking at bumper stickers. Am I the only one that does that? It's okay if it is. But uh, I enjoy that and I enjoy what they say on them. So, for all you Star Wars fans out here, you'll love this one right here. I had friends on that that Death Star. (laughs) Uh, For all you guys who have uh, reached retirement age and go out for your little stroll on Sunday afternoon, you'll enjoy this. I'm retired, going around, nothing to see here, going around. Uh, for if you're like my wife, Laurie, she's a big rules when in terms of traffic. And so you'll love this one. If, you, if I pass you on the right, you're in the wrong lane. Amen. Somebody said the same thing in first service, amen. There's a lot of traffic people out here, traffic cops. Uh, amen. Okay, I hear you. Uh, and then if you're like me and uh, you're a minivan dad, any minivan dads out here, don't be ashamed. All the minivan dads, let's be proud and be loud. We're minivan dads. I'm not feeling the love. All right, good. So we call our ride the swagger wagon. And so if you enjoy the minivan ride, uh, this is I Used to Be Cool. Mm, that's me. Um, and so uh, and I feel like a lot of times when it comes to when it, I, have a, I have one of my boys loves to run. And this one says, yeah, I run point, point zero, .00, I run. So that's a little good one there. And then uh, I'm a big uh, Big guy on this one too, it feels like life 's crazy and you 're just living in sandy instead of just just just, just embrace it right i'm just i 'm just proud of it i don 't I don't, uh, suffer from insanity. I enjoy every moment of it, so come along for the ride and then i 'm a big uh, i know there 's a marvel and everybody loves marvel but i 'm an old school d c man any d c people in the house love d c thank you one person me and you are we 're tight everybody loves marvel and i love d c so we 're I don't like the coexist piece of it, but I thought it was pretty cool with the, with the Marvel and DC deal. And then you get to the, crypt, the Christian ones that teach a little theology when you drive. Because you ride, you don't want to just, uh, you want to think when you ride. So this one says, you know, warning if the vehicle, if the, if the person in the vehicle leaves, uh, this car will be unmanned. A little theology for you here. And then the next one says, uh, honk if you love Jesus, text if you want to see him. <laughs> Hands free, you'll get a ticket. So there, there's that one for you. And then you got the one, you're, out at, you're in the middle of the road, and you're a road raging, and you can feel your blood pressure. You're driving to Nashville every day. You're feeling tight. And this one says, keep calm, and just trust God. That helps out a lot, doesn't it? No, not really. But uh, anyway, and then you get to our point in the text this morning where the last one says, uh, oh, my bad. And then you get to right, do you follow Jesus this closely? And the answer is, "Ah, oh, the answer is uh, a little convicting there, huh? Mm. So there you go. And then uh, the last one is where I want to end it this morning. As um, you'll see these all the time, too. It says, Follow Jesus. Or I say something like this. He'll say, I'm unashamed uh, for the gospel of Christ. I'm a Christ follower, right? So I say that because here's what I want to talk about. If, if, if I um, pull someone, I see this. I want to, a lot of times I'll see the sticker. I want to pull them aside because I have a great fear this morning. I have a great fear that I'm not sure if we really grasp what it means to follow Jesus. I think what happens in the church, at least maybe my, my upbringing, is I learned certain words to say and I learned certain ways to say back to people that got me approval and got me like a head nod. And so I, I knew how to say Christian phrases that I really didn't know what they meant. And heavens forbid, I didn't know how to apply them. But I think that's what I want to talk, so this this, this is really trite, you hear it all the time, follow Jesus, you're a Christ follower. Well, I want to pack this morning, I want to pack, what does that really, really mean? What are the characteristics of a a Christ follower, and and what does that mean to us this morning? Because uh, if you turn to Luke chapter uh, 9, uh, verse 23, we're going to start unpacking this and seeing what it means to be a Christ follower. But let me give you some background so you understand what's happening. Because I want to be crystal clear with the culture Jesus is talking to and apply that to what's going on today. And so last week we saw Jesus told his disciples, I'm going to the cross and I'm going to suffer. We got that. I'm going to suffer. And you got to give the disciples a lot of empathy. Because we're looking at the cross from one vantage point, more of a backwards look. They're looking for it more towards the front. And so we got to understand when he said go to this cross, go and suffer, disciples immediately inside began to go, oh, wait a minute. That's not what we signed up for. We thought you were going to take out Rome, become a political leader, become a king. And now we have, as we look back, we have the Savior who's going to willingly lay his life down. And so they're looking at that. You can see why they're confused. But wait a minute, Jesus. When you said follow me, become a follower of Christ, I thought you meant we were going to take out Rome. I thought you meant we were going to have some power, some prestige, some influence. And so we, looking back, know one of the greatest acts that Jesus ever did was lay down his life. But we had that vantage point to look back on the story that they didn't have. And I want to be real clear about this, too. When you become a follower of Christ... You don't just willpower this thing. You don't just gut it up inside of you and say, you know what? It's time to go for it. You don't just get all you've got and all the energy you can get and go, yeah, I'm going for the cross. You don't just white knuckle it. You don't just muster up this power inside of yourself to self-will this thing. I can make this happen. That's not what Jesus is talking about. See, we got to understand that because if you're like me, we earn everything. See, we want to earn justification, which means to be, to be standing before a holy, righteous God. But we also want to earn sanctification. And what Jesus does is he comes into that. He speaks right into that. Whoa, 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 whoa. Wait a minute with the earning. See, we live in a world we want to earn and we want to prove. And Jesus comes to the scene and says, to follow me, I want to be crystal clear. How clear. Crystal clear. You don't earn this. You don't prove yourself for this. And so the backdrop, we've got to understand when it says follow, what does that mean? And so look at Luke chapter 9, verse 23, and it says through 27, And he said to them all, if anyone will come after me, let him deny himself, take up his cross, and follow me. For whoever would save his life will lose it. Whoever loses his life for my sake will save it. For what is the profit of man if he gains the whole world and yet loses or forfeits himself? For whoever is ashamed of me, of my words, of him, will the Son of Man be ashamed when he comes in his glory, the glory of the Father, of the holy angels. But I tell you truly, there are some standing here who will not taste death until they see the kingdom of God. So don't miss it. Right in the very beginning, after he said this to all, Mark lets us into this all. Who is he talking to? Who is Jesus speaking to? Because ideally we go, yes, the disciples. That's the inner circle for sure. But we can't miss the all. Mark tells the crowds were standing there. So when Jesus gives his invitation to follow him, when Jesus gives his invitation to what it means to be a Christ follower, we see the disciples for sure, but we also see the crowds. Support and to understand because, see, in Jesus' deal, he doesn't separate discipleship from evangelism. He's making it crystal clear. When I call someone, and I call all of it, I call everybody. Now, I'm not sure how all that works out. and There's a lot of theological stuff we can talk about, but we'll table that aside. But he makes this call to everyone. And it's crystal clear what he expects from his followers. Hence, if... The clause, if, conditional. If anyone. It's a conditional clause. So just because you hear my voice, just because you hear me call, doesn't mean you respond. See, I made a call to everyone. But just because you hear it, doesn't mean you'll come and follow after me. There's got to be something else after that. There's got to be an action required. And not everyone who hears the word is going to be open, have their hearts open, however you want to, communicate that, they're not going to be open to follow. That's important to get. The if is conditional. And then he goes right to the point and says, hey, if you want to be like me, to be like me, you've got to do what I do. To be like me, you've got to do what I do. Well, what do I do? Well, Jesus is going to suffer. He's going to suffer before he's glorified. Does that make sense? He's going to suffer before he's glorified. And then he's going to give us three imperative moods, M-O-O-D. They could get three imperatives here. Okay, the imperatives are commands. He say, like, wait wait a minute, if you want to follow me, you will call yourself a Christ follower. That's what you want to do. You say you want to come after me. You say you want to be my disciple. You say you want to be a little Christ. You say you want to do what I do. You want to walk where I walk. You want to talk like I talk. You want to act like I act. Well, let me tell you what that looks like. Again, crystal clear with the imperatives. He lays it out for you. Number one, you got to deny yourself. Number two, you got to take up your cross. Number three, you got to follow me. See, his audience understood what he meant. It wasn't vague, it wasn't unclear, it wasn't nebulous. They got it. That's what he's calling to. It's a lot like Paul says, I have been crucified with Christ. It's not I who live, but Christ who lives in me. And so let's look at the first characteristics. If anyone comes after me, the first characteristic says he's got to deny himself. I love this part because, see, I think we missed something in America that the, the readers here didn't miss. This is a community a community aspect. This is family. This is familial. And what he's telling them, when you deny yourself, what I'm asking you to do, leaving your family, leaving your relatives, leaving the ones you got your identity from. And I'm asking you to switch that and come over here and deny yourself. So when you deny your family, you deny your friends, you deny those who have influence, I'm asking you to have a, a new identity. And this community identity is now we're brothers and sisters in Christ. See, America, we're too individualistic. And so, the church background I'm from, we call him Brother Vincent, Sister. Not saying that's necessarily right, right background, but you call, hey, Brother Vincent, hey, Sister Smith. Because it, it, it communicated we're family. We've got this new identity and we're community together in Christ. I have, I have left my biological family to embrace this new identity. And so when he talks about deny, you've got to see that and make that connection. It's community. Hey, we're family. When you call yourself a follower of Christ, we're we're connected. You're my brother, you're my sister. Let me try to explain another way. Talk about deny, it means to disown something. And so again, think about how we live in our old identity. Oh, when we're when we're separated from God, if you're here and you're not a believer, why do we operate? And if you are a believer, think of just your old nature. What do you instantly think about? If you're like me, I protect myself. I protect myself. I take care of myself. And I'm going to do what I want to do. Right? That's how we operate in the old operating system. That's the old flesh. That's the old identity. And when he says deny, disown, he's saying disown that. Turn your back on that. Don't look at that because that's not you. That's not who you are anymore. He's trying to encourage them by the imperative is a command. He's getting tense and emotional, saying, "That's not you. You're new. It's a new identity. It's a new ball game." And so he continues to unpack that. And he says, "Hey, this is Jesus economy. It's death to self. It's winning to losing. It's live and you die. It's adding by subtraction." And not all about you, but where I'm from, that makes no sense. That makes no sense. That's countercultural. And when Jesus said deny yourself, that's what He's calling you to do. Turn your back on your old identity. All that stuff and the voices you're hearing, that's not you. Turn to your new identity, who you are. Disown that. Drop down to verse 25. He says, for what does it profit a man if he gains the whole world, lest loses his soul? You have to love Jesus. Because what Jesus does, he gets in your mailbox and he reads your mail. And when you lay down at night, he's all in your thoughts. And when you scratch, he, he, he itches where you scratch. He's all over your business. He's all in it. Because this is talking about Money. Woo! Profit, what is it? Profit a man if he gains. That means profit, advantage, benefit, gain. You businessmen in the house this morning, you know what he's talking about. It's bottom line. The company comes to you, we've a bottom line margin. We need to make sure we have profit. And Jesus comes and says, what is it? Profit a man if he gains all that gain, all that advantage, but yet he loses his life. Another way to say that is he loses his way. See, if I forfeit something, in, in the business sense, it's the, the deal has gone bad. I've lost a lot of equity, a lot of money. When your stocks go down and your IRA, you feel that. And so he's communicating financial terms of profit and loss so they could connect with that, understand. That's the call he's trying to have us make. A reporter one time asked John D. Rockefeller, who was the wealthiest man on the earth at the time, he said, Mr. Rockefeller, can I ask you a question? How much is enough? And Rockefeller replied, just a little bit more. Just a little bit more. Then I'll be satisfied. And that's what we have to realize. Like, That's not what we're created to be. Like, hear me, please hear me. You're more than what you do. You're more than a paycheck. That's not who you are. You're more than how you perform. Good days and bad days, how poorly, how well, you're more than that. Because you have a new identity, a new purpose. You're living for a better story, a bigger story, and a more beautiful story. And when he says deny yourself, that's the vision he's trying to give. You don't want to lose your way. This, this old identity, it's nothing there. It always screams. It always whispers, a little bit more, a little bit more, a little bit more. It's exhausting. And I think you're out there and you're with me this morning because I, I can understand you've got to be tired living that way. That's got to be exhausting to live that way. And so don't give up something or that you can just, how do I want to say it? Give up something you can't lose. Give up something you can't lose because he's connecting the spiritual. Out. You can't, you're going to this physical body going to go, but you can't lose the spiritual. You can let the worldly stuff go but we hear that the heart issue that he's addressing, please, please, please hear me. The heart issue he's talking about is the need for comfort. And I want to say it this way because I don't want us to be a behavioral modification church. I don't want us to be you working around we're about how my behavior, my behavior, my behavior. I want you to go deeper to the root of the issue. And the heart in the Hebrew Bible especially is about your, how you feel, how you think, and how you act. And they're all integrative. The big words are cognitive, volitional, and affectional. There's your 25 cents words, go be a copy at Starbucks. That's the big words for you, but it really means think, feel, and act. How do you think, feel, and act? And right when we're confronted with deny, right in your heart, you should feel this going, oh, because it attacks your comfort. It attacks your pleasure. And that's when it communicates a longing for pressure. because we live in a self-love culture, don't we? We love the ego. We love self. We love to be valuable. We love to be the hero in the story. We love to hear the voice that says, I deserve it. And we go, yes, I do. I, I did that. Yes, I did. Look what I did. I tied that shoe. I tied that shoe. Look at that. I tied that shoe. See, we go, we go crazy about what we've done. And it sounds so silly, but it's so true. And our identity is based on how well we perform. So... It makes sense, doesn't it? That's why they call it comfort food, because you run to comfort food when you want comfort. That's why when you're dating someone, at least when I was dating, and we would talk to guys all the time, they say, hey, I know it's not healthy, bro, but they would always say, but it's comfortable. See, it's comfortable. That's why you run home, get on Netflix, you binge watch it, you know why? That couch, is comfortable. See, the couch is comfortable. It works every time. Sinks in, TV works, and you just check out. It's comfortable. And that's the hard issue he's addressing. Then you get to the movie Gladiator, and Maximus in the ring, and Maximus has this big battle. He wins, and he shouts to the Roman Coliseum, Are you entertained? Are you entertained? And I think if we're honest, we would answer the question with, Nah. Not really. I'm not really entertained. Just surviving. And then we either love ourselves or we go to this alley of we hate ourselves. And then we come to this part of the story that's really sad. We think about these thoughts all the time. We're not enough. We'll never be enough. We're not worthy. We'll always be unworthy. We're a failure. We'll always be a failure. And we stop right there. And I have to ask the question, where is the gospel in that? See, the gospel turns you from your self-love and your self-hate to the cross. Of course you're unworthy. Of course you're a failure. But that's not you. Jesus accredited something to your account. It's called imputation. He put something in your account, and now you have the righteousness. I was a broke college kid, had no money. Call my mom and dad, hey, can I have some money? They would put money into my account. You know how I did that money? I spent that money like it was my own money. And that's what you do with Jesus. He credits money into your bank account so you can live and you can function because you have a new identity. And that's the beauty of the gospel. So you're not stuck in shame, 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 shame. Self-love, self-love, self-love. That's the beauty. We've got to see that. We've got to feel that. We've got to act on that. That's motivational. Number two, he says, take up your cross and follow me. It's another imperative. See, another imperative. First imperative, deny. Second imperative, take up your cross. Well, the question is, how, 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 how often do I take up cross? How often? Daily. Now you've got to put yourself in the, in the position of the reader. What does the cross mean? Well, the cross was a visible act of torture. See, when you're a criminal, they didn't, make you, they didn't kill you on a cross. They also made you take the cross, put it on your back, and lug the cross and walk with the cross all the way to the place they're going to crucify you. You know why they did that? They did that so they can make fun of you while you're walking. They can throw stuff at you. They can ridicule you. They can harass you because you can't do nothing when you got something on your back. And they publicly mocked you. When you see that, and you hear that, and you read that, that's what Jesus is talking about. When he says, take up your cross, that's what it means. And we hang it on our walls, we hang it on our necks. It's a symbol of pride now, for sure. But back then, it was the excruciating, horrible death of suffering. Excruciating. You have to be willing to endure hatred, hostility, rejection, reproach, shame, and potential suffering. See, when Jesus says, take up your cross, he's not playing around. You can't trivialize this. Use trite phrases for this. He's saying, come suffer with me. Come die with me. One guy that says like this, you're a dead man on furlough. Woo! You're a dead man on furlough. That's how you live. That's what he's talking about. And I don't think it's important that when Jesus was carrying his cross, Simon of Serene was there helping him. I don't think that's irrelevant. I think it's extremely important to grasp that the Son of Man had help carrying his cross. Implication we're going to have help. We're going to have help. See, Jesus had the Spirit, he had the Father, it's a trinity. It's a community aspect. So, in verse twenty-four, he explains what he means when he talks about, "For what does it? um, For whoever would save his life will lose it, but whoever will lose his life for my sake will save it." That's hard. He, they foresee persecution and right, I don't know how you operate, but right when they see things are about to get tough, things are about to get hard, they go, oh, oh, wait a minute, wait a minute, wait a wait, wait they jump off. Have you ever done your life, when things get hard, you take the easy way out because you know why? It's too hard. It's too hard to go that way. I know it's too hard, so I'll just take something else. See, he's saying you don't settle because I've given you a new identity I didn't settle. I'm your teacher. Teacher always does what the student does. I'll help you. I'm there with you. Don't you settle when things get hard. And for this, it was persecution. Literally, I mean, you know, like the 11 disciples got killed. It's not playing around. This is intense. And we have to be willing to say to follow Christ is not just some cute bumper sticker I put on my car. It's a lifestyle of radical abandonment. I'm not playing games when it comes to following Christ, because he didn't play games about it. He's serious about this. And so the issue there we see, we're confronted with, especially when it comes to taking the cross daily, the issue there is is control. And the illustration I can give you about that is back in 1950s, I love reading the old guys, and this guy's not too old, but he was in the 50s. Jim Elliott was at Wheaton College, and he organized a group to go down to Central America. Some of you have probably seen the movie Shadow of the Almighty, or you've read the book. Elizabeth has a book called Passion and Purity, and uh, I don't know if you ever hear her speak when she was living, but it was interesting because she had a gap between her teeth. I'm not picking on her, but she had a gap, and I loved that because she never fixed it. Just raw, it's the gap right there. And it was like, that's my woman right there. No makeup, just raw and honest. That's her husband. So they marry, they go down to Central America. They find the missionaries lying in the face in the river with spears in their back. A publication comes out in the 50s and says, why do we take college students, these cream of the crop college students, and send them out of the mission field to be killed? That is a waste of time, a waste of energy, and a tragedy. You think Elizabeth's gonna let that go? I'm telling you, she's a tough lady. Elizabeth Elliot found a quote in Jim Elliot's journals, and it said, to lose your life for glory. I'm sorry, he is no fool who gives what he cannot keep to gain what he cannot lose. Let me repeat it. He is no fool who gives up what he cannot keep to gain what he cannot lose. See see what Jim Elliot did? It's a whole different operating system See, for Jim Elliott and Elizabeth Ellis, to lose your life was the most glorious thing you could do. To lose your life was the most glorious thing you could do, and it'll always be the wisest thing you can do, to lose your life. You're saying, but Chad, I'm not a missionary. I don't go to Central America. But you do go to Nashville. You do go around Murfreesboro. You do sit in your home office and talk to somebody. Are you willing to be identified with him? Because if you keep on that life and just checking in back to work, it, it lulls you to sleep. Apathy sets in. And before you know it, now you're 70. Now you're 80. And you can't remember the last time you ever felt anything in your life and you got excited about it. That's not how Jim Elliott lived. See, Jim Elliott's not the hero of the story. Elizabeth Elliott's not the hero of the story. They were doing what's normal. They were doing what's normal Christianity. We go out here and we deploy. What we do a lot of times, we sit in these couple of chairs and we just sit and get comfortable. That's not Christianity. Deploy, have a bigger vision for going out there and talking to people. Because if not, you'll, you'll come here and you'll sit in these chairs and you'll fall asleep. You'll check out. And that's what we can't do. Because see, the, the, the heart issue is control and we want to we hold on to our plans and, and, and our success and, and our life and we want to hold it, we want to grasp it and we want to say, no, wait a minute, that's my value, that's me. And we want to control it and we want to try to manage our own life. And that's the heart issue we come against when Jesus says, take up your cross. See, what it says is, I want to be happy and not only want to be happy, but I want things to go my way. And when things don't go my way, and I'm not happy, guess what I do? Y'all know the answer. I check out. I give up. I quit. Or I bear down harder, try to control it more. See, it's how you're wired. How are you wired? And when things don't go my way, I rage. I rage my wife. I rage my kids. Or I sit there on the couch and I'm just apathetic and watch baseball and eat popcorn and mostly just check out. And that's not what we do. That's not how Christ meant us to live. And I'm nervous this morning because I think what happens when we live that way of trying to control and manage, we create a God that doesn't exist. We create a God that's moralistic, he's therapeutic, and he's a deist. And that's tragic because that's not who God is. And so moralist means I'm just going to give a good life. Well, I live a good life, and I hope I did enough, God. Hope I did enough for you, God. Gave it a God, boy. That's not Christianity. It's not the gospel. Therapeutic. I'm just going to be happy, and I'm going to feel good about myself. I'm not going to sacrifice. I'm not going to deny anything. I'm going to do everything I want under the sun. Because my life, God, is therapeutic. I'm just here to be happy. As long as I'm happy and things go my way, I'm good. That's therapeutic. Then deist, then our God, that type of God, just checks out. So you're down there, you're hurting, you're in pain, whatever. This guy's distant. He's out there. I don't know where he is. And we like that God because we think we can control that God. Woo, we can control that God. We can make that God however we want him to do, what he wants to do. But see, God in the Bible doesn't give you that option. He says, I'm being real clear deny, take up your cross, and then we come to the third point. He tells you, he says, hey, it's time to follow. It's time to follow. So what does it mean when I say the word follow? Follow is you come along behind someone. You do what they do. You walk where they walk. You speak how they speak. You follow them. You don't object. You just say, yes, sir. You follow them. You're driven by what they do. And so we follow someone, you move in that direction. It's a continual act of obedience. Over and over again, I continually act of obedience by following. And you'll see that down in verse uh, 26 of the guard clause again. He's going to explain the four. The four of the guard clause explain. For whoever is ashamed of me, of my words, will the Son of Man be ashamed of him when he comes in glory. Notice twice he pieced the word ashamed and ashamed. And that's associated with if you are ashamed of something, you reject them. You reject their teaching. You reject their lifestyle. You disassociate with that person if you reject them. If you're ashamed of them, you're embarrassed by them. You're embarrassed. And that's what he's speaking of. He says, if you're, if you're embarrassed of me, when I come in all my glory, when I come in all my glory, I'm not going to know who you are. Now, we don't do this perfectly. Peter's a great example. We don't do this perfectly. But it's a heart issue because Jesus knows what's driving our hearts. He knows if we're genuine or not. I don't know that. I'm not a prophet, a priest, or a king. i got no clue. But I know one thing. Jesus knows what's going on all in here and in here. In our head and in our heart, he knows. And so if we're ashamed, he says, I'll be ashamed of you. Think about the Old Testament. It's always a public thing, isn't it? Noah built an ark in public. Guess what they did to Noah? They made fun of him. Rahab put a red um, piece of cloth on, on her house or upon the wall so the spies knew where she lived. It's a public thing. She associated herself with the, with the gospel. Think about um, the last one. Think about um, Passover. Israel painted. Right above, so identify the blood of the lamb. So he passed over, passed over the blood in, in Egypt. See, following Jesus is always a public expression of an inter, internal commitment. We follow Jesus, always public. We don't do it perfectly, but it's always public. And the heart issue, the heart issue is Approval. See, approval screams to us, I will longing to be accepted. I long to be desired. I care more about what you think about me than God thinks about me. You become very, very large in my narrative, and God becomes very, very small. And I run around trying to figure out, hey, am I valued? Am I worth something? Tell me I mean something. Tell me I'm good enough. And then if you wake up one day, you become a chameleon. See, you're a different around certain people because you don't really know what they might say. And this is where I've had to pay the most tuition as as a believer, as a lost person. This is my journey. It's so hard to to stand up because I'm a, see I'm a nice guy. I want you to like me. I'm not, uh, I try to be rude. I try to be abrasive. I'm a peacemaker. I don't enjoy conflict. I don't like conflict. I'm not sure I tell a joke and laugh. I'm easy to be with, so when I was 21 years old, I have no idea why God did this, and I was scared out of my mind. I'm growing in my faith, and I get a call to go on a radio show on my campus. Uh, My campus had a radio show, and um, they would interview various people, and I said, well, what are we doing? And they said, well, I want you to come and represent the Christian perspective of what it means for, like, marriage. Think about these topics today. I want you to come and talk about what it means to be marriage, one woman, one, uh, one man, how God designed it. Talk about sexuality. I want you to talk about how God wired us sexually. I want you to talk about um, same-sex attraction. I'm going, are you kidding me? I want, um, and then I was, I'm 21 years old. I'm a scholar in this subject, right? And then, then here's, the, here's the caveat. Here, here's the caveat. But 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 by the meantime, marriage, uh, sexuality, obviously there's same sex attraction as well. But there's just more than that. There's also is marriage really one woman and one man? And then how did God recreate really us sexually? And and there was all that. And they said, oh yeah, by the way, you're talking with the um, the department chair of the psychology department. <laughs> and, and at the time, she was a, she was a, you know, she was on obviously the other extreme. So she was representing the, the other extreme, which is. You know, with sexuality, and uh, there's more freedom there, and expression, and, and with uh, marriage. Well, really, how do we define marriage? This is 1997. And I remember sitting there, and Jesus just like, well, my mom, well, my mom used to spank me, and she disled me. She would spank me counterclockwise. Like, she was starting to just work her way around my bottom side. And I thought, God, I'm sitting here going, man, Jesus, you're wearing me out counterclockwise. I'm just kidding, cause I'm a nice guy. I mean, you don't understand. I'm, I'm like tender, compassionate, and I'm trying to talk about this subject. About hey, I couldn't say it then, but what I was trying to say is you're not your sexuality is not tied to your identity. That's what I was trying to say, because you know, and I was trying to say, man, I struggle. I, I, I got my selfish issues. I've got, man, I feel all these feelings for all these women around me as well, and and I'm trying to be a Christian male, but yet I'm tempted in this area. So there's, I understand the struggle, and I want to engage that. I'm trying to say, but I'm not, I'm not my struggle. Like, I'm, I'm, I'm in Christ. If I have Christ in my sexuality, then that, that, that's not all I am, because I'm in Christ. Does that make sense? That's my new identity. My sexuality doesn't drive my identity. I'm trying to, like, say that at 21. So I'm sure it came out very clear. (laughs) And, and I mean they're just wearing me out. You're a backwoods, bigot, narrow-minded, homophobic, god-da-da. My like, gosh. And Jesus was just wearing me out counterclockwise, my people-pleasing. It wasn't about that story. See, it's not about them. It was about what Jesus was doing in my heart. And that people-pleasing thing was just, he was just going to work on it, eradicating it. And then 20 years later, now I'm in 2019, and I have friends and I have family members who don't agree with me on this topic. And they are friends and they are family members. And I feel like the book of Hebrews says, I feel like a lot of times Jesus is telling me to go outside the camp, to bear his reproach, and to endure his shame. And I hate going outside the camp, I want to be inside the camp with the people. I don't want to be outside of camp with just you, Jesus. Because I like people. And Jesus is uh, making me go outside the camp, bearing his reproach. And so next time you see a bumper sticker that reads, follower of Christ, I pray that you'll understand denying yourself, taking up your cross, and following me. It's not a self-discipline Morality gutted up inside of you. Like, God's going to do a good work if you see this. If you see the beauty of the cross. You overcome all that because you've got to see the beauty of the cross. You've got to see that his comfort is satisfying. His control is perfect. And his approval is eternal. And there's no God like our God. Would you take a moment to begin, so what, to... To allow that to, to wrestle in your heart, bow your heads, look at the wall, look down, I don't care what you do behaviorally. I just want you to wrestle with, "Hey, where do I go? Control, comfort, approval, and God, will I recognize it, and then will you return and go back home? Don't allow your shame and your guilt to stumble you from going back home. Take a moment to do that, please.